0: Welcome to Why Not Change the World, the RPI podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Hedden-Gallagher. In this episode, we're talking about research that explores how to share information effectively. Let's start with communication strategies. I spoke with Gwadev Chen, an assistant professor of marketing in the Lally School of Management at Rensselaer, who examines how individuals make judgments, estimates, and decisions in the absence of complete information. We did have a few audio issues while recording our conversation. We began with a question about the fundamentals of his research. Why is it so important to have a good, clear message in when you're dealing with marketing communication?
1: Well, as human beings, it's extremely important for us to communicate anything, not only in marketing, but communicate our ideas, communicate our feelings. And that's uh, what makes us, you know, a different species from all the other species we have a language to communicate and the same concept the same fundamentals are true for any field including marketing it is very important to have the right kind of communication so that we make sure we can make sure that uh, our customers our consumers are perceiving the information in the same way as we want them to
0: Communication, you would think, would be something found in the humanities field or the school of architecture. Why is it important to have someone like yourself who's an expert of communication in a business school?
1: Well, communications is a very big part, like I said, of any field, including business, all verticals of business. You know, We look at earnings call from different companies and the, and the, the stock price uh, becomes extremely volatile, goes up or goes down in an irrational way. Depending on the communication message, Uh, in the field of supply chain, the inventory management will go haywire if there's not proper communication. In human resource, you know, you need to uh, lead your workforce using the right kinds of communication. Communication is a very important part of all the fields of business including marketing and you need to have the right kind of communication, not only in advertisement, but every aspect of uh, marketing.
0: So your research, let's shift into talking about your research and specifics now. It seems to break down some of the elements of messaging, like delivery methods and specific words and time spent in decision making. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about round numbers a little bit. Um, Why are so why are numbers themselves so important?
1: So basically, numbers are important to communication messages because, you know, uh, very few messages are complete without the use of numbers. The use of numbers is ubiquitous in communication. If I have to convey an idea, if I have to convey any information to you, knowingly or unknowingly, I will be using numbers in my communication. And how these numbers actually impact the perceptions of the listener, how this, uh, how these numbers actually impact the judgments, the attitudes, and the decisions of the listener is core uh, to my Research area. So for instance, you know, if I tell you that this particular beef that you are buying is 20% lean, or this particular beef you are buying is 80% fat, it's exactly the same thing. Something, something being 20% lean is the same as being 80% fat. Um, and on the, in the same vein. What if I make those numbers specific? I don't use round numbers. What if I say that you know this particular beef is 19.86% or uh, 81.26% lean, Mm -hmm. will that make a difference? So how do do numbers actually make a difference in consumers' judgment and decision-making? That is extremely core to the field of marketing communications.
0: It's really interesting because we really do think of messaging as just words, or at least I would imagine the general public does. And you don't realize the impact that numbers have they're so subtle and yet so important what did your research find
1: so the interesting aspect of this research is you know as a marketing manager i may have a choice of you know positioning my beef as 80 percent lean or i may be very very you know uh i might be uh, leaning towards positioning it at 81.2 24% lean because i just got the information from other team in my company that our lean our beef is actually 81.24% lean so we should position it as more lean but my research shows that you know what it might be detrimental to the company for, uh, to use specific numbers because what happens is although 81.24% lean beef is objectively leaner than 80% lean beef But when consumers look at this information in isolation, 81.24% lean, they compare it because it's an unusual number in communication, isn't it? It's an unusual number. So when we think, when we look at something unusual, we try to make sense of it. And while trying to make sense of it, consumers compare it with an ideal uh, beef. Now, what is an ideal beef? An ideal beef does not exist, it's 100% lean beef. But that is the first thing that comes to consumers' mind when they are trying to make sense of this weird number. And 81.24, however good it is, it is definitely inferior to the ideal 100% lean beef. And this kind of comparison to the ideal decreases the consumer's attitudes towards the beef.
0: You have other recent research into different areas of decision-making. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So, basically, that uh, particular field of research is about this fluency. So, fluency simply means the ease of processing any kind of information, you know. Sometimes we read some things that are extremely easy to process. Sometimes we read things that are extremely difficult to process, and so that kind of difficulty can be due to many things. It can be just because, you know, the writer used many, many difficult words, or the font was not very clear to be read. The background color was too close to the uh, font color. There can be many, many reasons because of which we can find it hard to process some information. The ease of processing in the information is fluency. The opposite of, of that, that is the difficulty in processing the information, is fluency In my research, I show that sometimes, at times, it is actually better. Uh, for marketers to use disfluent information to make the information disfluent for the consumers, and in in what context? Whenever people are trying to make a decision, if people are trying to make a decision based on the information that they are reading, and if you make that information a bit hard to read, later on when they are actually thinking about their decision, they will think, "Oh, I actually spent a lot of time in making that decision." Well. Uh, truly, they did not spend a lot of time in making the decision, they spent a lot of time in processing the information. But consumers don't remember that. They misattribute this time spent due to disfluency to the decision making. And what happens then? When we expend a lot of effort and time into a decision, we like and back our decision. So this is what I showed in that research, that in certain contexts, when you make the information disfluent, after a time delay. Consumers are more likely to back their decision that they had made while processing the disfluent information.
0: So why should people care? Why should the general public care about the message that they're receiving? I mean, let me just play devil's advocate and just say, like, an ad is an ad is an ad, right?
1: Well, we are all consumers of various kind of information, not only, uh, you know, marketing information we are communicated about different kinds of ideas from all around the world you know different political parties uh, try to communicate their ideologies to us different religions try to communicate their ideologies to us and yes different companies try to take our money and sell all kinds of products and services to us it is very important for us as consumers to understand all these concepts that the marketeers might be using so that we can actually you know, we can avoid falling prey to all these tricks and make an informed decision that increases our payoff the most, not the organization's payoff, not the marketer's payoff, but our payoff. So, yes, uh, I would always say that, you know what, I am not the person who tries to say that, you know, marketing is a bad thing. We should not help marketers with our tools. But whatever tools and strategies I come up with, they can be used by the marketeers. It's a tool. Anybody can use it. But these can be used by the consumers as well in order to make more informed decisions.
0: Once information is shared, it needs to be processed by the recipient. For insights on how that works or doesn't, I spoke with Ian Chad. A behavioral and experimental economist in the school of humanities arts and social sciences whose research focuses on the relevance of irrelevant information and in decision making
2: so the question that we're asking in this research project is does the availability of irrelevant information make you a better or a worse decision maker if you have to make a decision you have to process a lot of information about the different actions that you can take as part of that decision right and based on your preferences the things that you care about some of the information that is available to you to process is going to be relevant for that decision um, and some of that information is not going to be relevant a canonical example of this would be Um, shopping around for health insurance through your employer's marketplace or through a government marketplace or or what have you. Um, You're gonna see a lot of different health insurance plans um some of those plans you can select maybe you can see all of the information about those plans but you can't select them maybe because of your status in the company how many years you've been working there Um, if you're working for the government for example um, which government agency you're in things like that those items that you can see all that information for um, but that which you can't select you can't actually choose those we're going to call those unavailable options but then in another dimension you might see for example coverage for generic prescriptions and coverage for branded prescriptions and for a lot of people you never really opt for the branded pharmaceutical oftentimes because it's more expensive and so that information even though it is conceptually it might be relevant to someone it's not relevant to you because it's a service that you're never really going to engage with in that health insurance plan so we're going to call those. Irrelevant attributes. And so in economics and decision theory, um, we have this kind of property that we refer to as free disposal, right? So if, if we're going to apply this terminology, this free disposal terminology to information, um, the idea is, if we kind of take this at face value, is that a rational human, a rational consumer, uh, should be able to see information and, and ignore it if they decide that it's irrelevant to them, right? Um, and what we're kind of testing in this project is whether or not that free disposal property exists in uh, many decision problems, right? So, so that's generally what we're looking at. You know, does the availability of this information that you should optimally ignore, uh, does it make you a better or a worse decision maker? So, so what did your research show? We find that it makes you a worse decision maker in general, um, but in, so that's kind of the, the overall takeaway is that seeing irrelevant information or uh, providing irrelevant information to a consumer is not in and of itself a costless action. They take a longer time to choose between different options that are available to them in the presence of irrelevant information.
0: But how can you be sure someone is making the best choice?
2: because we're using um, a controlled laboratory setting to measure all of this, we're actually able to design the environment such that there is say a quote unquote objective best option and an objective worst option. Whereas if we were to look at say data in the real world, we wouldn't be able to do that, right? Because preferences are gonna be idiosyncratic and unique to each individual and we can't directly observe those preferences, right? Um, And so what we find is that so people are, less likely to choose the best option for them. And then even conditional on not choosing the best option, they choose worse ranked options, right? So even in a world where no one is ever finding the best option, just maybe because these decision problems are just much too difficult, still seeing irrelevant information makes you choose maybe a third or fourth highest option rather than a second highest option, say. Um, So in general, we see that people are worse at making decisions. functions in sort of a unique way um in our laboratory environment um because as i mentioned before we have these unavailable options and we have these irrelevant attributes we think of these as two different dimensions of irrelevant information you know out of stock items that you might see on amazon or characteristics of say for example like a laptop that you just don't happen to care about right um those are we think that those might work differently in terms of how the brain process in, processes information. And certainly in the real world, those are different features of you know being unavailable or different ways in which something information could be um, irrelevant, right? Um, but what we find is that there's roughly some symmetry between displaying irrelevant information in either one of these dimensions. So if we just add Say unavailable options to a list of alternatives. This is like, you know, if we go from five health insurance plans that you can choose from to then showing you 15 health insurance plans, 10 of which you couldn't choose, um, just doing that in one dimension doesn't seem to have any effect. So we're able to, as decision makers, at least within the bounds of our uh, experimental procedure, um, we're able to process irrelevant information up to a certain point, and it doesn't really affect us too terribly much. But the second we show our subjects irrelevant information in both dimensions, um, unavailable options—you know, more health insurance plans that you can't choose—and say coverage information that doesn't matter for you, the intersection of the two seems to have this uh, kind of uh, exacerbating effect, and ha- seeing both sets both types of irrelevant information, then makes you a worse decision maker. You choose the best option less frequently, you choose lower ranked options um, more frequently, that kind of thing.
0: So what are the ways that people who develop websites or other practitioners might put this research into action?
2: I, you know, what, One implication of this might be that if I'm, say... A designer of these this kind of health insurance platform that that i've 've been kind of using as an example where i I see all of these health insurance plans and and so on and so forth and i 'm thinking about adding one or two health insurance plans that I know a certain subset of people are just not going to be able they 're not going to be eligible for um, I might think okay well, I know that irrelevant information can make people worse at making decisions should I add these these unavailable options. So our results would say if you're adding relatively few in just one dimension, it's likely not going to have a huge negative effect. Um, same thing with if I were to add coverage information for all of the available plans, but you know only uh, uh, a few say additional characteristics or something like that. Um, but when I kind of start the process and ask myself, should I add should I make all of this information available and make make consumers, uh, force them to process all of that information, knowing that I have irrelevant information in all of these different dimensions at the same time, that's when we would start to be very concerned about how consumers might uh, be affected by the prevalence of the available information of that sort.
0: Why study a concept like this in the field of economics?
2: You know, a, a lot of people have this idea that economics is sort of a study of money uh, the study of consumption, um, the study of finances and things like that. Um, but one of the things that I think is unifying across economics, um, as a social science is this idea of scarcity, um, and, uh, trying to investigate how people make decisions in an environment with, with scarcity. Um, how should they make decisions? How do they make decisions? Things like that. Um, so when we kind of boil everything down to you know, its, its essence. We think about these kind of you know, canonical examples of what economics is, supply and demand and things like that, right? These are all kind of the aggregate result of individual agents optimizing in their own lives. The study of individual decision-making, um, what uh, can affect individual decision-making, what can make it more optimal or less optimal, um, that's all sort of within the realm of economics.
0: So we discussed earlier why your research is important to practitioners. How does it impact, you know, the general public?
2: So one of the huge benefits of, uh, technology is the availability of information, um, to consumers who historically may not have had the same access to that information. And so much of that information is relevant. Um, knowing, about the availability of uh, different goods, um, the availability of different career paths, uh, of different say, locations to live or how to live your life. Those are all really important things. Um, But the information in some sense um, is a bit of a double-edged sword. In the presence of um, natural cognitive constraints, uh, constraints on our ability to process new information, Um, The abundance of information can have kind of a hidden downside, pointing out exactly where those downsides might exist, um, how to avoid them, um, and how to perhaps quantify them is certainly going to be an important thing um, as we design systems um, in the world to uh, allocate or make available new information, and as we as individual people um, navigate a world with an abundance of information that may or may not be relevant to us.
0: This episode of Why Not Change the World was recorded remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Please take a moment to rate the podcast on whatever app you're on. And if you'd like to learn more about what's happening at Rensselaer, visit rpi.edu. Thanks for listening.